Blog Talk Radio.
God bless you. The Lord loves you. He has a tremendous plan for your life. I'm so happy to be with you. This is your Sister Pearl. And tonight's broadcast, again, on a Sunday evening, New York time, is In the Word with Sister Pearl. And so wherever you're hearing this, uh, whether you're on the Pacific coast of the United States or you're in the Atlantic or you're somewhere in the middle, you're in the north, you're in the south, I just want to greet you in the name that's above every other name, the name of Jesus. Thank God for uh, his son, Jesus. Thank God for what he's done for all of us, whether we know that or not. I want to give a special shout out to the hostess and the owner of Reaching Out Radio, and that is Evangelist Montel Fields. God bless you, woman of God. I pray that this program will be a blessing to you and your family and all of the special hosts and hostess of uh, Reaching Out Radio. God bless each and every one of you. And I also want to especially welcome all of the people that are listening around the world and that uh, Reaching Out Radio has the blessing to be able to touch in the name of Jesus. And so I welcome whoever is listening from the great continent of Africa. God bless you. And Asia, Antarctica, if there's anybody listening in Antarctica, certainly in North America, where I'm going to be speaking from, South America, Australia, Asia, and in the continent of Europe. We want to welcome each and every one of you and let you know how much we pray for you and how important you are to us, but even more important to God. And God has such great plans in store for you. So again, I want to go straight into the word because we have a lot to cover tonight. Last uh, Sunday night, I was speaking on whose report will you believe? Whose report? Will you believe? And that's found in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1. Tonight, however, I'm going to continue that theme, Whose Report Will You Believe? Part 2. And I'm going to read the entire chapter of 53, the entire 53rd chapter. But before I do, I want to open us up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just humble ourselves before you. And we thank you for the great privilege of being able to even read your precious holy word. Thank you, Lord God, for sending your son, the Lord Jesus, to take on human flesh and to come to this world to give himself as a ransom, to give himself as a sacrifice for each and every one of us, myself who is speaking and everyone who is listening. You gave your life as a sacrifice for us. It should have been us dying on that cross to pay the penalty of our sins. But yet Jesus took our place and he came to a world that rejected him, knowing what was going to happen. And he still came. And Father, we thank you for expressing such a wonderful love for us that is so deep. We cannot fully comprehend it, but we thank you for what we do understand of it. And I pray that tonight that you will touch hearts and lives and you will touch men and women and uh, boys and girls and that you will draw them to yourself by your Holy Spirit, O oh God. Thank you for that very important question. Whose report are we going to believe? And God, help us 
in the name of Jesus to give the right response to this question that's so important. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to go right into the word of God. And uh, I want to give a special shout out to a class that I know is listening in mainland China. Okay, so, so Isaiah chapter 53, I'm going to read the entire chapter. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we would look at him, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. He was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain and familiar with sickness. And like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we had no regard for him. However, it was our sicknesses that he himself bore and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. But he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. The Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its sharers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the wrongdoing of my people to whom the blow was due? And his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord desired to crush him, causing him grief. If he renders himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many. For he will bear their wrongdoings. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. And he will divide the plunder with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was counted with wrongdoers, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the wrongdoers. That was the entire chapter of Isaiah 53. Now, Jesus himself quoted from Isaiah 53, verse 1, and I'm going to read you where Jesus in the New Testament quoted Isaiah 53.1. But let's go to John, the Gospel of John, which is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. First is Matthew, 
Then there's Mark. Then there's Luke. And the fourth gospel is John. So I'm going to read from John chapter 12, verse 35 through 38. Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Now, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. And here goes Jesus quoting Isaiah 53, verse 1. He quotes it in John chapter 12, verse 38. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Immediately after, we are posed with the question, whose report will you believe? Isaiah the prophet begins to describe the Messiah's physical condition. He also reveals how the fleshly, common man or woman thinks of him, meaning Jesus. Isaiah lets us know without sterilizing, and when I say sterilizing, I mean trying to clean it up or fix it up or softening the effects of how this admission of Jesus' physical appearance seems. He tells us very directly, I'm talking about Isaiah the prophet, he tells us very directly that there is nothing about the appearance, the physical appearance of Jesus that would draw us to him. Now, that's unlike the pictures that we see of Jesus, you know, this uh, beautiful specimen of a, of a human being with glowing, long, thick hair and waves and just flowing and, you know, a picture of a blonde hair, most pictures anyway, blue eyes and tall and attractive. Now, we know that this Jesus came as a Jew. So most likely, especially in the year that he came, he did not look like the paintings that we see painted of him. Now, this is quite contrary to our natural propensity to want to go after whatever pleases our eyes. Remember, remember what Isaiah the prophet said, that there is nothing, there was nothing in the physical appearance of Jesus that would draw people to look at him and wonder, oh, how beautiful he's looking. Now, now let's go back to our story that we talked about last week. When we, we mentioned, and I'm going to mention it again briefly, Eve. Remember Eve back in Genesis 3, when she was in the garden, the Bible tells us that she looked at the forbidden fruit. And here goes exactly what the Bible says in, in, in Genesis chapter 3 about that. Quote, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, that's what the Bible says, that she saw that that fruit was pleasing to the eye. And a lot of people, when Jesus came to earth, they were looking for some big, tall, built, 
handsome man in the natural that was good-looking and pleasing to the eye. Actually, we hear, and if you know your Bible, and if you don't know it, I can tell you now, um, that's what King Saul looked like, the first king that was given to Israel. And that's because the people, not God, but the people desired a king. And so God gave them a very tall, very good-looking king. Because God knew that's what they wanted. They wanted something that looked good and tall and built and handsome. And yet, we know that Jesus was really beautiful to behold. Yet, not to the common eye, but to the eye that desires God. God that is all good. God that is all pure. Let me tell you what the Bible scholar Matthew Henry said about Jesus and his appearance. There was a great deal of true beauty in him. The beauty of holiness and the beauty of goodness, enough to render him the desire of all nations. But the far greater part of those among whom he lived and conversed They saw none of this beauty, for it was spiritually discerned. Carnal hearts see no excellency in the Lord Jesus. Nothing that should induce them to desire an acquaintance with him or interest in him. Now, Matthew Henry spoke in Old King James English, so let me just try to break that down, what Matthew Henry said. He said that the fleshly carnal eye did not see how beautiful and majestic and how much Jesus was to be desired when they looked at him in his physical appearance because he looked like an ordinary man. He didn't come looking like some great, fine, good-looking, tall, handsome man. His natural appearance, the Bible tells us, did not necessarily draw people to look at him. It would have to be that man or that woman that was seeking after the beauty of holiness and what is good and what is righteous. And only those that could spiritually discern would really look and see Jesus as the fantastic, wonderful, beautiful Messiah that he truly is and he was on planet Earth. This really makes me think of a natural and human ancestor of Jesus, and that's King David. Even David's own father, Jesse, did not consider his youngest son, David, when he was out in the field shepherding his sheep. The Bible talks about a time when God told the prophet Samuel that he was going to anoint the next king that would succeed Saul. And he was going to anoint the next king out of the house of Jesse. So Jesse had, I believe it was eight sons. And yet, when the prophet Samuel came to his house to to anoint the son that God chose to be the next king, Jesse, the father of David, did not even consider to invite David to come while the prophet Samuel was there to anoint one of his sons as king. Side note, 
Unfortunately, sometimes it is your very own family members who, due to their, their familiarity with you, grow very careless and forget how God has used you even in their own lives. Now, Jesse said to his son David, this is in an earlier part, he told his son David, I want you to take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Now, this is a time when all of the the great soldiers and the men who were considered men of valor in Israel, they were going to fight against their enemies, the Philistines. And so most of, if not all of David's elder brothers, they were down in the camp ready for whenever they would be sent out to fight against the Philistines. And so David's father, Jesse, told uh, David, so I want you to take some roasted grain and take some uh, loaves of bread, take them down to your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are and bring back some news for me. Bring me back some assurance that they're okay. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Now, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of another shepherd. He loaded up and set out, as Jesse, his father, had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies. He ran to the battle lines, and he asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine, the champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in fear. Now, the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man comes out, how he is coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give grace to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Now, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Now, when Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. That's King Saul. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. 
But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from, the, from its mouth, when it turned to me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will like be one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And that's what David told. That's what David told King Saul. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I believe I read from verses all the way down to verse 37. Now, let us think clearly. I seriously doubt that any of David's older brothers ever were confronted with and killed a lion or a bear. Also take note of how his older brother was so cruel to demean David's character. He even called him conceited, wicked, and nosy. Again, keep in mind that people with a far lesser anointing and dedication to God than you, these people who do not respect nor honor God as you do, are quick to condemn, discourage, and think the absolute worst of you. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I believe God has that for somebody who's listening tonight to hear that. People with a lesser anointing will always look for something to say to condemn and try to pull you down. Do not receive it. Do not let the devil use them to destroy or discourage you. Don't let that happen. Let's go back to our story. Now, this is another portion of scripture here. Now, this is a time when the fifth Samuel actually goes to the home of Jesse. And he is going to now try to discern who is it, who among Jesse's sons should be anointed as the next king. So now I'm going to read. Surely Samuel saw Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. Now remember, why am I even sharing all of this? I'm taking my good time to share all of this to let you know that God does not look at things the way you and I look at things. Remember, in Isaiah chapter 53, we read, Isaiah the prophet said, there was nothing so physically attractive about Jesus that would draw men and women to look at him as the Messiah. So now I'm going back now all the way back into 1 Samuel, and I'm going to read what God was telling the prophet Samuel. God told the prophet Samuel, do not consider Eliab's appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things the people look at. 
People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. And Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him, and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health, and he had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. That was taken from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 through 12. I believe the word of the Lord to each and every one of us listening to this message. And of course, I'm speaking to myself first and foremost, is that we, in this very hour, we need to rise and anoint him, meaning Jesus. Not that you nor I have the power nor authority to make him king. He's already king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. So regardless of what place we extol or praise him in our own hearts, he's already king. However, you and I need to anoint him in our lives in the way that we crown him and bless him as Lord and the most highly anointed one in our lives. I'm so taken with verse 4 of Isaiah 53. But let me just go back to Isaiah 53 and read a portion of, of the third verse. And like one from whom people hid their faces or they, they hide their faces, he, meaning the Messiah, was despised. And we had no regard for him. So it basically, we didn't care about the Messiah. But then we get verse 4 of Isaiah 53. However, and what does however mean? However means it's used to introduce a statement that contrasts with or seems to contradict something that has been said previously. Regardless of how you think or you about Jesus. It was our sicknesses. However, it was your sickness that he himself bore. It was my sickness that he bore. So even though I didn't care about how he looked, I didn't really pay any attention to him. I was not interested in him. I didn't think he was any big deal or anything very attractive or anything very beautiful. However, it was my sickness that he bore. It was my pain that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. But we thought wrong. 
because he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. I'm reading it again the second time for a reason. I know I read it before, but I'm purposely reading it again because now you get a better understanding. You and I didn't care about God. We didn't care about him. We didn't see anything so wonderful about why we should pay attention. We were doing our own thing, living our own lives, going about our own business. However, he suffered and was afflicted because of us. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds, you and I are healed. We are healed spiritually. We are healed physically. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have been doing our own thing. We weren't even thinking about God. We were doing whatever we wanted to do. But the Lord has caused the wrongdoing that we did to fall upon him. It was like if we committed a horrific crime, and we, of course, are the ones that should be taken to prison, and we are the ones that should be punished. But instead, he tells the warden of the prison, don't take her, don't take him, I will go. In their place I will take Upon me their punishment What they deserve I will take it The Bible says in Isaiah Chapter 53 verse 7 He was oppressed and afflicted Yet he did not open his mouth He was like a lamb That is led to the slaughter And like a sheep that is silent Before it shares He did not open his mouth By oppression and judgment He was taken away And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, for the wrongdoing of my people to whom the blow was due, he came to the Jewish nation first. He he came as a Jew when he put on human flesh, and the majority of the Jewish people ignored him, just like the majority of the world ignores him today, Jew or Gentile. The Bible says in verse 9, and his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Why did the Lord come in the person of Jesus to the earth? Because from the time of Adam and Eve, beloved, Mankind has always been trying to reach out to God, yet because of sin, we failed. We fall short. We miss the mark. We're constantly offending a holy God. We're constantly going our own way. We're constantly doing our own thing. We're constantly looking at something else instead of looking towards God. And so you and I deserve the penalty of death because when we sin against God who is holy, he said that the penalty for sin is death. But then the gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ. So it was Jesus who bore our sins on that cross. Now, this was prophesied hundreds of years before the Messiah came to the earth in in human flesh. It says in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, but the Lord desired to crush him, causing him grief. If he renders himself as a guilt offering. See, you and I can never offer ourselves as a guilt offering before a holy God. Why? Because we, even if I went on a cross, God the Father would not accept my blood. Why? Because my blood is guilty. It's not pure. It's not clean. I have not lived a a blameless life. Every last one of us has been born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We are sinners. That's what we do. And only when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, do we have the power to say no to the devil and to say yes to God. Outside of the Spirit of God in us, we can try to live a good life. We can try to be pleasing to God, but we don't have what it takes. And so the Lord Jesus allowed himself to be crushed to be crucified on a cross. He became the guilt offering that God the Father demands so that he would pay the penalty for my sin, the penalty for your sin. Someone had to pay it. We could not pay it because we're not worthy to pay it. Only there is only one that was righteous. There was only one that was blameless, there was only one that was totally without sin, and that is the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus was not born the same way that you and I were born. Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit that hovered over the Virgin Mary. Mary knew no man sexually before she had Jesus. So Jesus was the only one that came into the world. And Jesus was God before he ever came to planet Earth. The Lord our God is one. But so God gave himself as a guilt offering, and that's what it means in verse 10. He renders himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands as a result of the anguish of his soul. He will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one. We're talking about Christ now, talking about the Messiah. My servant will justify the many. So what does that mean? My servant will justify the many. Any man or woman who places their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ becomes justified. Our sins are taken away, washed away by the blood of Jesus. And now we have a right to come boldly before the Heavenly Father and take him as our Father. He adopts us as his children. This is something that you and I could never do in our own merit. 
This is something that we can never accomplish in our own ability. Could have done this for you and for me. That's why it says in verse 11, my servant will justify the many, for he will bear their wrongdoings. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the plunder with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was counted with wrongdoers. He hung up on a, on a cross next to two men that were as guilty as guilty could be, and he allowed himself to go up there and be counted as, as, as another wrongdoer, even though he did no wrong. Yet he himself bore the sin of many, and he interceded for the wrongdoers. When a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl comes to understand just a bit, one does not need to comprehend all of the greatness and the vastness of God. And truthfully, God is, is far too great and wide for any and too deep for any human being to truthfully believe that they know the full depth of God and all of his glory. That's not going to happen on this side. Until we go to be with Jesus, none of us are going to understand everything about God. However, if we can believe his report in this 53rd chapter of Isaiah, we are well on our way to grasping the reality of his great and undeserved love for each and every one of us. Perhaps you've never heard of this great God who loves you. Or even if you heard of the concept that there is indeed a God, you may have been given a wrong idea of who God really is. Well, let me just tell you who he is not. He is not something that can be created by mere human hands. You know, some people, you know, they can craft things. Uh, they can make things with clay. They can make things, carve things out of stone. They can make things out of wood. And I've seen, I've traveled in this country, United States of America, and I've traveled to other nations outside of the U.S., and I've seen uh, people that have created things and then bow down and worship. But, but does that make sense? For the created person to create something with their own human hands and then fall down and worship that as a god. That makes absolutely no sense. God cannot be made by human hands. And despite what a lot of false teachers are telling the ignorant masses, and that just means people that do not know, neither you nor I will ever evolve into a God, as some people want to teach others, that eventually, you know, you will evolve and be a little God. The Mormons teach that, and that's false teaching. You're not going to ever become a God. You're not going to become God. God only is God. He says in Isaiah chapter 44, Verses 6 through 8, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, 
I am the first. I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Is that plain or is that plain? Verse 7, and who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it, set it order, set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people, things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock I know not one. So there you have it. God says of his, himself, I am the first. I am the last. Besides me, there is no God outside of the true and the living God that we learn about in the word of God. Whose report are you going to believe? Are you simply going to believe the report of somebody that looks nice, sounds nice, pleasing to the eyes, know how to say something slick? There is no substance to that person. There's no depth. Jesus, the word of God says, had no stately form or majesty that we would look at him, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. Yet only Jesus was the one who could give you life. This same Jesus to the earth became a man fully man, yet fully God, to show us the way back to the Heavenly Father. If you are believing anybody else's report, I have to tell you the truth. You are believing a lie. Only Jesus has life everlasting. Only Jesus able to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. No matter how cute somebody else is, no matter how nice, no matter what kind of amount of words they can use and talk really good, sound really convincing, they cannot save you. Not in this world or any other world. I cannot be any more truthful and honest and clear as this. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Perhaps you have never really given your life to Jesus. Uh, and even if you have, question is not so much, did you give your life to Jesus 20 years ago or five years ago, but today you're not really following God. You're not really loving God then, see, when Jesus comes back, he's going to find us exactly in the condition that we are. The Bible talks about in Revelation that if he comes back and he finds you holy and acceptable uh, in his sight, then you're holy and acceptable in his sight. 
If he finds you filthy, when he comes back, that's the condition that he finds you in. There's no more time to change. We cannot cry out to God after he's already returned. This is the acceptable time to cry out to God. Now is the time to change. Now is the time to reach out to Jesus. Amen? This is the time. This is the time. So call on him while he is still giving you an opportunity to come to him. I cannot save anybody, obviously. Neither can anyone on Reaching Out Radio program or any other spiritual program that you might listen to. However, I do know the Lord uh, well enough and long enough that I can lead you in a prayer. And if, if what I am saying is what you'd like to say from your heart, I'm going to ask you to just repeat after me because it's with the confession of your mouth that you're saved. It's what you believe in your heart. If you believe that Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for your sin on the cross of Calvary and he was resurrected again, and if he has the power to resurrect, he has the power to deliver you from any kind of sin or bondage or stronghold of the enemy that you might be caught in today. God has the power to totally set you free and to give you life everlasting. Your life eternally does not begin when you die. It begins at the point where you give your life to Jesus and you are what we would call eternally saved, of you uh, repenting of your sins, not only just being sorry for how you've sinned against God and offended a holy God, but literally You're asking God to help you to turn the other way. Repent means to turn to the opposite direction. So if you were going down Avenue Z, you make an about turn and you go towards Avenue A. It's a 180-degree turn in the opposite direction. Instead of going down, now you're going up with Jesus. And so... If you would like to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and you've understood some of what I've shared tonight, then I will pose again this question. Who will believe the report of the Lord? And to whom will the arm of the Lord be revealed? The arm of the Lord being revealed means that you're going to see God's arm strong and mighty on your behalf able to deliver you from sin and bondage and addiction and wrong thinking and wrong living and wrong doing and wrong, just wrong everything. Basically coming out from darkness and turning to go into his glorious light. Whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to be believe like Eve? She did not listen to the word of the Lord. She listened to the serpent who was beneath her. And because of that, she lost her position in the Garden of Eden. And so did Adam, because he went along with her. And there's so many things. Next Sunday, God willing, I'm going to go into even more deeply, and I'm going to bring some issues that we're all facing globally 
in this world right now in 2021? And I'm going to ask you again, whose report will you believe? But for those of you that would like to place your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you want to become a child of God, you want to be one of those people that you want to receive what Jesus did for you on the cross of Calvary. You want to be uh, one of those people that he poured out his life into and he justifies you. Then repeat after me, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, your son, I understand that I am a sinner that I have done things to hurt you. I've disobeyed you. I've offended you. I've gone my own way. I've, I've done whatever I wanted to do. And now I am sorry. I turn from my own way, Lord, towards you, Jesus. I invite you by your precious Holy Spirit to come and dwell, live inside of me so that I may have the power over sin. I will have the power to stop doing what is wrong by your Holy Spirit. I I have the power to say no to the devil and to say yes to you. Heavenly Father, help me to love you. Help me to know you. God, help me to, when I open up the Holy Bible, give me understanding of what I'm about to read. Lead me and guide me by your Holy Spirit. Show me how I might live a life that is victorious, a life that is successful with you, Lord, please you, a life that will bless you, a life that will glorify you. God, use my life to be a light to others that are yet in darkness. Bless my life and make me a blessing to others. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. Thank you, Lord, for coming into my life and making me your child. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that now lives inside of me. Help me to follow you all the days of my life until you take me to be with you in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I just want to pray with you just for a moment. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for every man and every woman that prayed that prayer. Uh, I thank you, Lord, for those that might have known you many years ago and they stopped following you. They got turned around, but then they've rededicated their lives to you afresh tonight. Father, I pray for others that have prayed that prayer for the very first time. Father, I pray that you would bring other believing sons and daughters of God around them 
that are true Christians that really know the word of God and that will teach them and help them and will embrace them and disciple them in the truth of your holy word. Keep them away from cults. Keep them away from everything that is not like you, that might sound good, but is not like you, God. Cover them with the blood of Jesus, that the enemy can do them no harm and bring no confusion to them. Bless them, oh God, I pray in Jesus' name. And not only save them, save their families, save their neighborhoods, save their communities, save their cities, save their provinces, save their states for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for spending this hour with me in in the Word with Sister Pearl on a Sunday evening or whenever you might listen on demand. I just want to bless you in the name of the Lord. Stay tuned for next week because I am really going to go and touch some some things. I'm going to expose some things. I'm going to call some names. I'm going to be talking about what we're all dealing with in 2021. And I'm going to ask you that critical question, whose report are you going to believe? And who will have the arm of the Lord revealed to them? May the Lord bless you real good. This is your Sister Pearl with In the Word with Sister Pearl. I love you. I pray for you. I pray God's blessing on you. Until next time, take care.